This is the best, 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 best practices in education and Odyssey School podcast. Let's fly away in a cloud. This podcast aims to offer professional resources, practical tools, and inspiring conversations to teachers and parents in their quest for excellent education. And the trees are rainbow, and you'll see the corn every now and then because that's not weird at all. Welcome to Best Practices, an Odyssey School podcast. My name is Corey Adams, and I'll be your host. Today, we are joined by elementary director and second grade teacher Craig Deutsch. Craig moved to Asheville from Atlanta, Georgia. He's passionate about emerging mathematics and literacy and early childhood development. His professional development projects have focused on cultivating grit and empowering students to develop strong self-organization. Craig received a BS in early childhood education at the College of Charleston. He has worked in the preschool at the Early Childhood Development Center at College of Charleston, as well as at Etzheim Synagogue's Preschool in Roswell, Georgia. Craig has been teaching in Odyssey Classrooms since 2013. Craig, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So can you share about what your best practice topic is? Absolutely. I chose to present on setting boundaries and using discipline as a way to teach self-control. This is both for in the classroom and for parents. What about that topic inspired you to explore? I am currently working with a student who it became clear to me on my first visit with his family that the parents were needing some significant support in setting boundaries and using discipline in an effective way. Yeah, that word discipline sometimes is pretty heavy. So I'd love to hear how you're defining it and thinking about it. Well, um, it is a heavy word. And I think that discipline means different things to different people. And looking at the Merriam-Webster definition, there are three main uh, definitions. So there's punishing or penalizing for the sake of enforcing obedience. There is also bringing a group under control or imposing order uh, upon a group. And the, the definition that I really was focusing on is training or developing by instruction and exercise, especially in self-control. So my main focus is using discipline to teach self-control. Ah. Uh. So what are the foundational pieces when you're looking at discipline from that point of view? Well, I think a great starting point is a tone of mutual respect. And that is something that I noticed with my own daughter in how I interact with her and my partner interacts with her. We naturally communicate using respect and The way that that works is also in a time where we're really needing to be somewhere or do something beyond some sort of time frame. And we kind of need to be a little bit more firm because she doesn't want to put her clothes on (laughs) or she wants a different pair of shoes. Um, We're able, we have this um, currency built up because of that respect. And there's trust in knowing 
when we're being more firm that it's not from a place of being mean or unkind, but it's uh, from this place of, of need. I would imagine that when you are working with that idea of discipline and self-respect as the starting point in self-regulation, that you need to have a framework that is also developmental in context. Is that the case? Yes. So I'm looking at Eric Erickson's stages of psychosocial development, and I started looking at the school age frameworks. So from about 18 months to three years, which is a little bit before our preschool starts, but my daughter's in that range, children are working with building autonomy, a sense of autonomy. Moving a little bit older into like kindergarten years, they're looking at building initiative as they get into middle and upper elementary, they're looking at building industry. And then those middle and high school years, they're developing their identity. So looking to this framework of psychosocial development and seeing all of these pieces of what children are trying to develop and these battles that they're trying to grow into, into being more autonomous and independent and feeling like they have a role in the world, even at a young age, that tone of mutual respect can really support them in feeling confident in themselves and developing that self-control. So there's not a power over from an adult or an adult doesn't have to use discipline as a way of punishing, but as using and supporting that self-control. So within that framework, I am wondering if you have sort of key strategies that you're using with students to support them in the classroom. I think the main, main strategy is really choosing your battles. And this is something as a parent and an educator, I still struggle with, even though I've been doing this for a long time, but really trying to figure out When is it the right time to really enforce a boundary or set this boundary? And when is it the right time to kind of just let something slide? So for example, right now with my daughter, we're really working on manners and getting her to to ask politely for something when she's wanting uh, more snacks or juice or something. So getting her to say, please. And so there's some times where I really will have her repeat back a statement using please. And there are some times where it's like a base level need that she's needing something in the moment and I won't really push it. Um, and then it's same with, we're also trying to get her to learn how to dress herself and put her shoes and socks on and things like that by herself. And so there are some times where I will still support her and just do it for her. And there are other times where I am going to really take the time to let her experiment and try and fail. And all of this is, again, building that autonomy. Can you translate that in the context of the classroom? And I know most recently you taught in the second grade classroom. So what's an example of moving between times when you're really working through something with with the concept of failure in mind like yeah it's okay if the students are failing at this because we're still learning how versus holding that sharp boundary and accountability well at odyssey we have a really strong focus on social emotional learning and so there are plenty of times where that applies where the setting the boundaries can apply in academics and failing is definitely a major part of our academic process but I'm going to focus on it from a social emotional place. And so 
We really want the kids to be communicating with kindness and be respectful of one another and include each other in in their play. And there are certain times on the playground or in transition where I might set a boundary for how they're talking with one another and other times where I'm kind of stepping back and letting them experiment and see what's going to work. And then if things, if they fail too hard because somebody gets upset at something they said, then I'll step in and do a mediation between them. But there are other times where I will step in immediately because I can see where it's heading because it's already from a place of being really unkind. Another strategy that we use, especially in the elementary classrooms, is responsive classroom. And there's a book called The Power of Our Words by Paula Denton that has these great um, simple shifts in language. And so there is a softer tone of reminding language. For example, instead of a teacher saying, stop running, the teacher could say, stop, walk. So it's a very short and subtle shift. And what you're doing is you're naming the desired behavior instead of naming the action that is happening that is undesired. So another example in the classroom could be these tables are a mess. So you're stating the undesired action. That doesn't tell the child what you're, what you're looking for or what you're seeking. So instead of that, what you could say is clean off your tables before you line up. So it's a very mm-hmm. specific statement that tells exactly what you're looking for and exactly what, the child, what you're expecting the child to do. I love this concept because I really just experience for myself how powerful language is. And I think the shift in placing emphasis and consciousness on what we want to happen is really a powerful practice. Do you see it working in the classroom when you use this? I think the kids respond much quicker to this type of language because it gives them a very clear direction instead of like, if you say these tables are a mess, they might look at it and agree with you and say, oh yeah, totally, the tables are (laughs) are a mess, so what? Um, So when you're saying clean off the tables before you line up, you're giving them the power to do the behavior that you're looking for. So, so you are saying the desired behavior, which is clean off the tables and then line up. And then the power is in their hands. They can do that thing and follow directions or not. And then if they don't, you can use more redirecting language, which is just a, a little bit stronger. And so reminding language is just when a behavior is kind of not happening in the way that you want it to. And they just need a gentle touch. Um, redirecting language is a little bit stronger by, um, for instance, if you're in a circle and a child is goofing off, you could say, come sit by me. So -hmm. that's just a very clear, simple statement that they have a direction of what to do versus like a question of, will you stop doing that? Or please, please stop doing that. Please come sit by me. Or will you come sit by me? It's, it's a question instead of just a very short, direct statement. Yeah, and I notice in that question, will you come sit by me? I think there is a choice that you're offering that you actually don't want to be offering, which is that the kid could say, no, I'm not going to sit by you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the I think a tool that there's some nuance to this tool, but I think with experimentation, parents and teachers can get really savvy in how they use it, but offering choice, even in ways where you're offering choice, but both of the desired outcomes are things that you want. Mm -hmm. So the child still has a choice, but again, you are trying to develop that self-control. So there was a, a, 
it was a podcast interview that I listened to um, with Meg Meeker, who I hadn't heard of before, but apparently has been doing like parenting classes for Mm -hmm. years or decades. And she interviewed this author, Dr. Henry Cloud, about setting boundaries for kids, which was perfect for my topic. And he had a part in this interview where he talked about managing the process. So when you manage the process with your children or students, you are setting them up to make choices to develop that self-control. So one of the examples he uses is choosing a bedtime story. His child didn't want to brush their teeth. And so the way that he framed the choice is, do you want to choose a bedtime story? If so, you need to brush your teeth. Mm -hmm. And then if the child was still... um, arguing or pushing back he said okay well i guess we don't we won't read a story then so it's not the consequence is related to the behavior and you also want to read the story probably hopefully but the choice and the power is in the child's hands so the child can then brush choose to brush their teeth and get to pick their bedtime story or if they don't they lose that opportunity mm-hmm So can we again sort of reframe that idea of offering children the chance to make choices in the context of the classroom? In the context of the classroom, you can also use those uh, more statement-based choices. So if you don't want to participate now, you'll need to finish your work at a time when you normally have free choice. So that's one example of using choice where, again, you want the child to be choosing to do their work now, but the choice is there. So if they don't do that work, then they already know the consequence and it's really up to them. Another way that you can include choices is doing a visual schedule. So sometimes when I was teaching, I would offer opportunities for switching some events around based on what the class wanted to do. Sometimes we have limitations in our schedule um, and we couldn't really do that. However, sometimes it doesn't really matter the order of operation. So sometimes like maybe for instance, maybe they packed up their backpack in a way that worked for them in how they organized their materials. Sometimes that didn't work because we didn't want to have 15, 20 kids all being in the hall at the same time. And so we have a specific routine and rhythm with that. But visual schedules also provide a way for students to know what's going on in the day and have some autonomy and ownership over that even if it is not a time where they have choice. So often one of the first things that kids would do, even though this part wasn't specifically in our morning routine, they would come and look at the schedule, see what was happening when, and if there were any special events that were happening. So I'm curious what happens when you have an especially challenging student. So the teachers who are out there listening definitely recognize that there's a range. in regard to students' willingness to comply with requests from teachers. And sometimes you have a student who's just exceptionally challenging in that way. So in that situation, what sort of strategies do you have? In the past, we've used incentive systems for students who needed to adjust to certain behavior. So sometimes this has been really, really specific, like we made agreements of respecting boundaries, not saying hurtful comments, um, speaking with kindness. So that was like an example of some really specific behaviors that we were looking for. And then we would reflect with the child at the end of each day. And oftentimes when including the students in their reflections, they were harsher than 
than <laughs> I might have been. And so this was really helpful because then I could kind of step in as their teacher to be the like the good guy and say, oh, I wouldn't give you one star today for that. I think I'd give you two. Um, and that mm-hmm. works too with consequences. So they might make these really strong consequences for themselves, um, like not watching TV for a week or something like that, where I can be like, well, as maybe just for a day or something like that. So I can kind of then step in and be like the ally for them when they're being harsh on themselves. So those incentive systems, it might be like a star rating system or um, checks if they do something uh, negative, but really I want to be focusing on the positive. And the, the end result is that they will earn something that they have chosen along with their parents to um, incentivize them. So maybe that's like going out to see a movie or having a movie night or playing video games over the weekend. Yeah, I, I want to just take a moment and tease out because I think it's really useful to, to frame that incentivizing within the concept of self-regulation and that students are being given the opportunity to do something that they really earn for themselves. And so it isn't really about an adult's whim in that moment. It's that there's a system of shared understanding and then they gain the pathway or the opportunity that the adult and the child have come into agreement is what I think I hear you saying. Is that right? Yes. And the child are, are all on a team together in communication with one another about both positives and negatives. So these incentive systems really don't work unless the parents are on board. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So in closing, are there resources that you could share with teachers and parents in their search to have strong self-regulation and discipline? I think my go-to recommendation for books is Setting Limits with Your Strong-Willed Child by Robert McKenzie. Um, I have found that to be a very clear way to explain different parenting styles and how they relate to child development. Um, The Power of Our Words is a really great book with more of an education focus. And The Self-Driven Child is, I found to be very interesting because it opened my mind to how involved your children can be in decision-making processes. Those are some great recommendations. I can't wait to add a couple of those titles to my own reading list. Thank you for joining us today, Craig, on Best Practices in Education. We've loved having you. Thank you. This has been Best Practices in Education, an Odyssey School podcast. It was recorded here in our music studio in Asheville, North Carolina at Odyssey School, engineered by our music director, River Gargarian, and the original theme music was created by the Misfits of Cragberry, an Odyssey student band. Let's fly away in a cloud.